Hey everyone, Randy Halsey here with Backstage Pass Radio. I hope that all the beautiful and wonderful moms had a wonderful Mother's Day today. My guest today is an award-winning recording artist and a producer. He was a star quarterback, and he is also a local-based Texas musician that has earned the respect of his peers as well as worked with some of the best in the business. We will visit with John Evans of the John Evans Band when we return. This is Backstage Pass Radio, the podcast that's designed for the music junkie with a thirst for musical knowledge. Hi, this is Adam Gordon, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn alerts on for this and all upcoming podcasts. And now, here's your host of Backstage Pass Radio, Randy Halsey. John Evans, welcome to the show, bud. Hi, Randy. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Glad you came. Uh, glad you're here. I was uh, thinking when we were trying to tack down a date to do the show, and you said, let's, you know, I'm busy. It's, let's try Sunday. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do Sunday. And then I realized, oh, Sunday's man, Mother's it's Day. Mother's Day. And I'm like, I think we can pull it off. So, Anyway, here here we are. It's Mother's Day. It worked and, uh, out great. <laughs> and Perfect. we we haven't uh, we haven't been chastised too much, I guess, about uh, being here. And I went and spent some time with my mom earlier today, and my kids were here to do the mom thing yesterday. So that's awesome. I that's guess. what I that's what I did too. I went and saw my mom earlier today. Brought her some flowers and and some balloons. And you're a good she, boy. She was <laughs> she was happy about happy that. to see you. Right. Absolutely. Now I remember. Growing up and hearing your name through my cousin, Tom, I'm sure that he'll listen to this podcast. So shout out to Tom Halsey there in uh, Mississippi. They moved to Mississippi not too long ago. Where in Mississippi are they? You know, I don't know. I I think he posted something the other day. They were somewhere. I don't know if they're living in Starkville. I think they were there eating or something like that. But uh, the, I guess the, uh, the, uh, the business took him. To, to Mississippi. That's awesome. That's, yeah. that's where my mom's from. She's from really? Itabina, Mississippi. Okay. That's the, interesting because Metropolis. my mom is from Vicksburg oh, uh, wow. as well. So we have there that we in go. common. Yeah. So, hey, Tom and family, hope all is well there. Hi, Tom. So I call you, him Tommy. Tommy, yeah. Well, you've always been Tommy to me. Well, you know what he was to us. And, and I, I don't think he would hate me for telling the story, but um, he, he was a junior, right? So right. we called him T2, right? Oh, because he was nice. Uh, Tom the second. Right. So my dad, you know, that he was T2 to everybody. And then he was Tommy, of course, in school when you knew him. And then he shortened it up to Tom. So it's, it's kind of come full circle. A lot of guys, a few friends that had to change their name like that. Yeah. Like Billy to Bill. Bill, Yeah. That kind of thing. A little more professional, you know, not, not kind of the, the, the (laughs) the boy, the, the boy sounding. And did you go by Johnny growing up or was it always John? Well, I mean, it's, I guess the more people get to know me, the more they call me Johnny, you know? Okay. But, but it's John. It's always been John. And then I think it's girls more than guys. Some of the band members call me Johnny, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's still pretty much John. So you guys played, did you play like little league football together? I don't even remember what, it, what they called it back in the day, or was it just intermediate or high school? When did you and Tommy run into to one another it's in mo- school. mostly high schools okay. where, where I remember the, the, the big friendship. I did grow up playing little league football at, for the Dobie Mustangs, okay. Dobie area Mustangs. Yeah. 
did that up until the seventh grade, I guess. Now, I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit, but did did you go to intermediate school here too, or did you go? Yeah, it was it was a a weird situation. I went sixth grade to Thompson. Thompson, okay. And midway through my seventh grade year, we moved to the Woodlands. Okay, uh, it's a Shenandoah Valley, okay. and I and and I went to Knox Junior High. So, okay. so I showed up during basketball season, and so I played basketball for Knox my seventh grade year, and then I played football my eighth grade year at Knox also. Okay, and then after that, after my eighth grade year, we moved back to Sagemont and enrolled at Dobie, and, and okay, so. It was just a year and a half that I was gone, and then I came back. But it was it was like a total culture shift. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess, so you weren't in football at Thompson at all then, right? I, or I, did you play in the seventh grade at Thompson? My seventh grade year, I did play, and I don't even remember that. I don't even remember okay. that season. Uh, um, I probably played running back. Yeah. And, and when I went to Knox – they put me at tight end because I was great big and I could run. Yeah. And when I came back to go play football at Dobie, I, I told them that I was a quarterback. And that's where it all started. Yeah. Well, the head coach at Thompson, Oakley Davidson, I don't know yes, if that name rings a bell. So, so Coach Davidson was on our hunting lease. He and a guy named Troy Hill, they were both coaches. But uh, Oakley was um, – Definitely on the lease that we had up in Centerville. Oh, so. wow, that's yeah. great. I yeah. remember Coach Davidson. Yeah. Boy, yeah. He, he was he was a tough one. Yeah. He was tough up there at the Deer Lease, too. He made us do all the picking up the cans and, you know, all the stuff that, you know. He made he would make me win the wind sprints every time. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm just as tired as everyone else. But, like, he, he wouldn't let me lose. Like, yeah. if I lost, he'd make us run more. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was like, just let him win. <laughs> now, you were, were you and Tommy friends off the football field, or were you just uh, kind of teammates? How did Was that friendship outside of sports, or w- was it really confined to, hey, you know, we play on the same team, and that's that was really the extent of it? No, we were, we were buds. Uh, it, was, it was a scenario where when I came back in the ninth grade, I was trying to rediscover who all my friends were, you know, it was like, it was, it was weird. It was like a big transition. And Tommy and I, I, Tommy was always nice to me. And this, that was, that was my deal. It's like, I would like jump around through the different groups Groups. of people. And like, I, I took auto, auto mechanics and I took, uh, I almost took ag, Mm -hmm. But I, I jumped through. I was I was friends with everyone, and you know I've got a, a bunch of really good friendships out of it. Yeah. Well, you were right. probably a personality much like me. I've picked up on your personality a little bit since we've been hanging out here in the studio. But I call it the chameleon personality, and I was the guy that I, I was a sports guy too. Yeah. Uh, but I also sang in the choir. Right. You know, I ran. You know, with the with the potheads too. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I just I I was friends with everybody and yeah. I was welcome into those circles. I, I wasn't totally. this guy and this guy only yeah. kind of like you as a musician, right? You know, you could say I'm this genre, but at the end of the day, you love music and it doesn't really, the genre 100%. is just a word, right? hundred um, percent. 
but I'm sure being friends with Tommy and whatnot, you probably knew that my aunt was the head volleyball coach at Doby. And yep. then she later remarried uh, Mike McKinney, who I think was the track coach, coach, coach at, McKinney, yeah. at, at Doby. And the, I, I was playing a show in Katy pre COVID and um, my aunt Cindy and, and Mike came out and that's the first time that I had seen them in a long time. Oh, so yes, yeah. that I bet that was fun. Yeah. It's kind of a small world. So you went on uh, and you played quarterback for Lamar, Lamar university, university, right? So right. were you there on years? Okay. So basically, I I left my senior year of Dobie, and then that summer, I moved out to Beaumont, and I trained in Beaumont, and I I took a couple classes and to try to get ahead, and then and then started the season, and I ended up playing four or five games that year. Okay, Shad Smith, he was a graduate of Clear Creek High School. Okay, he was quarterback that was ahead of me, that was the the starter coming in. And so we basically split time up through my junior year. And then my junior year, about the last, I guess, seven games or so, I, I started from there on out into my senior year. Gotcha. Well, I, I didn't ever spend any time in Beaumont, but I drove through Beaumont a ton because I was going to school in Lafayette at, oh, yeah. at Raging Cajuns oh, of Raging Lafayette. Cajuns. We, so, played, we played you guys. Yeah. You know, I, again, it was just passing through Beaumont, but right. I always knew where Lamar was and, and certainly have some friends that had graduated from Lamar. And I'm going to guess that you never had a problem seeing over the offensive line being six five. Is that what you are? Because yeah, so, I felt I'm six two. Okay. And yeah. when people. When, when I have to kind of look up at people, it's abnormal for a guy. Six, that's above average height. So, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, six, six, five and a half. And, and I've always been really lean. Yeah. And that, that was kind of my drawback, I guess, as, as a quarterback. You, I guess Randall Cunningham was, was similar body structure-wise. Okay. But he could also run a 4 four forty, and I was like high four sixes. Okay. But, but – yeah, it's it's been my scenario was man, I just can't I can't put weight on. Yeah. So I, I was like coming out my senior year, I was two oh five, six five, two oh five, and I felt like I was enormous. Yeah. You know, I spent the whole summer just seeing how much weight I could put on and and still keep my speed and all of that. Well, when I graduated in eighty four, like if you were if you were six one 250 you were enormous right yeah. and i see these kids for high school football now and it's like they're six seven 320 pounds and i'm like where are they growing these people oh, man. <laughs> are it's, they hatched or what what's uh, going on here it's wild so i went from lamar and you know they've always got the projections of of what you're going to do in the nfl draft and and i had aspirations to go play in the nfl and i led the nation in passing and my senior year, they, they dropped the football program after our season. And so all the communication between our football program and the NFL ceased. And so quarterback is kind of a important position to, Absolutely. to, to go and analyze. And so they weren't, they weren't able to get film and that kind of thing. And, and so I was projected to be like a four to seven round draft pick. And I didn't get picked and I didn't get picked up free agent. And it just kind of... crushed me I bet and then later the next year I got an offer to go try out for the the NFL Europe which was called um uh, World League of American Football okay and I tried out and got a contract and then they 
I uh, got picked up by the New York, New Jersey Knights, and yep. I went and got to play football there for Mouse Davis and the run and shoot. And that's what we ran during college. And okay. so that was cool. So I was there for two years. Okay. And then, uh, and then that league shut down while they reformed as the NFL Europe. So it was like my football days, it just didn't seem like it was in the cards. Yeah. You know, so, and I was married and had, had children and, and it was something where it's like, okay, I'm going to need to go find a job and do something else. Sure. Now, was there a stint after the Knights where, where you played in arena football? Was there a New Orleans I stint? I did. I, I, I played for New Orleans, and my deal there was I'd already decided that I wasn't going to play football anymore. And I got home, and the head coach of the New Orleans Knight, night, yeah, I guess it was the night, they – he called me and he said, here's the deal. We'll get you on an airplane, get you to New Orleans, and we'll pay you your, your World League salary. I was like, okay. Like, I can do this for nice. another six or seven months. And I went out there and, and lasted about a month. And I kept waiting for a paycheck, and it just it never it – was, it was the kind of – Broken promise kind yeah. of thing. No yeah. kidding. And, and so it was. It was a, a deal where I couldn't. I couldn't stay up there and do it if, no. if I wasn't going to get paid. And, no. and so I went back to Beaumont. Yeah. What's the old saying? Gas, ass, or grass. Nobody right. rides for free, Nobody baby. Nobody rides for free, baby. <laughs> Especially in arena ball, man. I'm, play I, me or pay me, man. You're, I don't. You're, <laughs> you're not going to run me into the wall no, for that. No, you know? no, no. <laughs> Got to break me off a little something, something for Dude, sure. Dude, you did some research <laughs> to find the New Orleans I, I do, night. I, I, I do my homework, John. Yeah. Like I, I'm not your typical podcaster, right? Yeah, that's, no, that's awesome. Say that tongue in cheek. But um, so right after the football career, what what were you doing? What did you find yourself doing? Well, I was I basically came back to Beaumont and jumped on the first shutdown I could out at the Chevron plant and worked that for about three weeks and then said, Man, I'm I'm not gonna do this. I'm not I'm not all the respect in the world to everyone out there working in the in the plants and the factories, but I'm I'm not built for that. Yeah. So we packed up and we moved to, we moved to Houston, moved back to Sagemont. And in the meantime, while I was looking for a job, I, I went out and painted curb address numbers with my father and he had a company where we'd go and he'd get hired out by the subdivision to paint all the numbers. And I would go out there and paint numbers and, and make money with him. And then I found a job a full-time job at Sterling Manufacturing in downtown Houston. Okay. Well, it, 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 a little north of downtown, but is a polyurethane fabricator in Houston okay. that supplied polyurethane foams to, like, mattress companies and, and upholsterers. And I ended up running the specialty department where we, we made the foam seats that you could buy at Academy. Yeah do the screen prints and that kind of stuff and the foam number one hands and yes. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I did that for five years and that's where the bulk, the big bulk of my writing was involved between probably 1992, basically 93 through 98. Okay. Did a, did a ton of writing there. 
Now, I believe that as a kid, your dad was kind of like a, a traditional country guy and and maybe your mom not not so much. Was the country music your first love, you know, coming up as a kid? Or was it more like the Carl Perkins rockabilly? I mean, what? Well, where was your head? Like, it, you know, high school days. What were you listening to? So, then? growing up, uh, early on, uh, my mom was into the classier side of like the blues and the jam- and and jazz music. Uh, my mom's from Itabina, Mississippi, and so that's the Delta. And so, I grew up with a good dose of of Robert Johnson and. Sunhouse and and that whole era. Her brother, Wilson Dillard, we call him Wissy, W I S S Y. He says okay. my name's my name's Wissy, but the ladies call me Wissy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's that's special. the French yeah. the French pronunciation. <laughs> the ladies like call it's... me Wissy. <laughs> so I, he he had a big influence on. He would always say, "This is what you guys should be listening. You shouldn't be listening to that. You should be listening to to this kind of music." And so I I listened up and. Early on, young, I listened to Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Delta Blues, yeah, and and so that was there in my brain. I didn't. I thought that was what music was. Yeah, and then and then once I started getting into junior high, you know, I had older an older sister and two older brothers, and they were listening to everything else. Yes, and so I started listening to what they were listening to: Aerosmith, Rolling Stones. Led Zeppelin, and so that had a big impact. And then they all went off. You know, they went off to to college and into the Marines, and so I was kind of by myself in the house searching for what kind of music I was going to listen to. And so basically I really, really, really dove into what everyone else wasn't listening to. I wasn't into the big pop stuff. I, I wanted to listen to the Butthole Surfers. Yeah. I wanted to listen to the Toadies, and I wanted to listen to Adam Ant. Adam Ant, okay. production-wise, was is was a huge influence on me. And and then uh, Goody Two Shoes, Goody right. Two Shoes, but yeah. all the stuff before that, like Desperate, Not Serious, uh, everything. It was it was very garage. It was very punk, and at the same time, it was pop and rockabilly and all this big splashy stuff in my face. And I, I really like that. And so that's that's had an, a big effect on how I approach production because they were a band that they were also into spaghetti western music. You know, okay, so yeah. they, they they incorporated all these different genres in this in this one band with horns and all sorts of stuff. And then all of a sudden it's on pop radio. Yeah. And so I've always wanted to do that same kind of thing with, with my music to where it's like, okay, there are no rules when I'm going to go make a record and I can do whatever I want to, because this is my record and uh, these are my songs and this is what I want to do with it. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. It was more about art than it was about being a pop star or something like that. Sure. And and I was also, you know, I was I was twenty six years old, twenty seven years old when I was thinking about making my first album, and you know the pop stars were nineteen and twenty and twenty one. Yeah. So it's like, hey, go do go do what you do, and exactly. And if something happens, something happens. Yeah. You know? Well, I don't know why I just thought of this, but I had a friend through through my cousin years years and years and years ago. 
Uh, and I don't know if the name would ring a bell, but does the name Jimmy Odo yeah. sound familiar? So I yeah. think he was fronting a band called Section Eight or something back in the day. And right on. Yeah, I just I don't know what I don't what made me think of that, but it's like I wonder if John knows Jimmy Odo yeah. or not. Yeah, were you playing in bands back in high school at all or no? no? I started playing guitar in the fourth grade, and I found that it was you know I took. I took a couple lessons. I learned how to play a song called Mindbender, and it was a melodic thing. It was actually a lead part. It was like, my mama was a Gibson. My daddy was a Fender. That's why they call me Mindbender. And so I had to learn those. I had to learn the melody like it was, like I was singing it, singing but I was it, yeah. playing it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I got the, I guess, the urge to do some lead guitar. Yeah. And so I learned how to play that and then it was like okay I learned three chords and I learned I learned G chord, C chord, D chord, E chord, A chord, B chord and then it was like okay, don't need any more lessons. Yeah. So that, then I just took it from there and, yeah. and learned and all evolved the, it, yeah. The, the twos and the fives and the sevens and all that. Sure. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's theory for those listening that don't have a, a theory chart. background. Yeah. <laughs> Nashville number system. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. When did you really start to take the music serious and make the decision that this is going to be a living? This is this is what I want to do. This is me. It was probably probably 1996, 1997. I I met a guy named Ronnie Walker in a music store and he was looking at guitars and I was looking at guitars and and he heard me playing and he said, oh, that's pretty cool, man. I play kind of the same same style of stuff. You ought to come over and jam someday. And I said, okay. And I went over and and he said, I write songs. And I told him, well, I've, I've been writing songs too in my garage. And it's basically like country songs saved my my. Football broke my heart, and country music kind of saved it. You know, it was my way of yes. expressing myself. Absolutely. And so I guess we wrote some songs, and I was like, man, these songs are as good as anything else I've been hearing. I have I really like it. He said we should put a band together, and we put the put a band together, and I had Brian Thomas playing steel guitar, and he helped put that band together, and it was we called it Evans Walker. And... Once we decided to record a record, we jumped in the studio and we produced it ourselves, and it did well in the Houston area. And we had some people in Nashville talking about it, and and I thought, man, this is something hopefully I can do yeah. as a living. You know, our 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 stage show got to where it was good, and and we were starting to make some money at shows, and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if. Uh, you know, back then I was waiting for Mr. Big to show up. Yeah. You know, and I didn't, I, I didn't know any better. And I really didn't have, aside from Ronnie, anyone that was coming in saying, hey, man, this is actually how this works. Yeah. So we were kind of figuring it out as we go. But I would say probably 1997, 98. And then by, by 2000, by the end of 1999, my wife and I had decided to, to separate and we were going to get a divorce. And I knew what I was going to have to pay for child support. And I knew I could make that amount of money playing music. And that's all that mattered to me was that I could pay what I needed to pay yeah. and be able to take care of my kids. Yep. 
And so at that stage of the game, I said, okay, I'm going to go full bore and I'm going to book, book out all these shows and I'm going to go do it. And I've been doing, doing it that way ever since. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that it has its own stresses like corporate America, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you've got to write songs that are hits and that people like, and there's always, you know, that's always in the eye of the beholder, right? What I like, the next person doesn't like, and there has to be enough draw from the likability standpoint to keep you employed, right? To to allow you to negotiate the good money for the shows and whatnot, right? You've only got so many sisters and cousins and family members. <laughs> and half of them out. usually don't even like you, right? Yeah, I know. They're like, i got to go see that jerk again. <laughs> he plays the same shit yeah, every time, like, right? I already know all his songs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, I think you've been labeled over the years as country folk. Um, I'm sure rockabilly and some that I, I haven't heard of. But how would John classify his style if you had to and, and who cares about genres at the end of the day but just for the sake of the genre conversation yeah. where, where does john evans and john evans band fall into i would say it'd be a combo it would be roots rock honky tonk probably roots rock music is basically what i do and it's it stems from what goes on in old honky tonks they it, my music sounds good in in a small room. Okay. Like like a uh like Blanco's. Okay. If you remember Blanco's Blanco's was a was a honky tonk in, in River Oaks. Yep. And you know, we could put hundred and seventy people in there at a time. And that's what we did and that's that's where we sounded, you know, like the Richard Best the, there. The music right? sounded like the room looked. Yeah. You know, and and smelled and it was like the neon and everything it was like okay this we fit in here yes and the energy was always based and i think it's why we kept people on the dance floor because i'm playing original music the whole night maybe yeah. a johnny cash song maybe an elvis tune or a buddy holly song or something mm-hmm. but we kept them on the dance floor because it was based in like the energy of punk punk music so we it was revved up and, yeah. and you wanted to dance. And Upbeat. That's, yep. that's why we, we get, we get thrown into the, the rockabilly thing so much. And the fact that I had a, an upright player that would, that played slap bass. Okay. And we'd light the bass on fire and, mm-hmm. and it was, it was, yeah, it was quite, it was fun to see. That slap bass serves as a, a, a percussion instrument in and of itself. It's right? like a, a tuned kick drum. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I used to record it on records and, and then, record electric bass and play the exact thing that he played, but on electric bass, just so I could get more, more tone out of it. Yeah. But yeah, I love the instrument. Yeah, it is cool. And it certainly has a fit in, in certain genres more so than others, but you've won numerous awards, both as a songwriter and a producer share with the listeners some of those accolades that that you've been awarded with i think there was some houston press stuff and there's probably probably a lot of other ones that i don't know about i've I've, i really don't like to think about that stuff honestly it's it's kind of like people people send me like invites to a contest or man you can enter your music and you've got a chance to win something and and i never was much for putting i grew up playing football where Everything was about winning. Yeah. And with music, music to me has always been more of happiness. Yeah. Happiness. And it's something where it's like, okay, I, 
I don't want to try to be the, the popular dude doing this. I, I don't want to go and say, hey, guys, look at me. Look, come come see how great we look. Yeah. You know, it sounds like Oh, something. I get it. I dig that for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we, for about eight years in the Houston Press Awards, we, we won Best Songwriter and, and Best Country Band, Best Roots Rock Band. I, I can't remember what all they are, but. A bunch of awards, and I appreciate all of them. I still have, I still have all those, yeah. all the awards. I keep them in a box right now. Yeah. I don't have them up anywhere. But well, they, I'm, I'm not saying I don't appreciate right. people voting for me and all that. I think that's that's awesome. Well, they but, don't define you as an artist for sure. Yeah, but it's nice that you've been acknowledged for those totally. things, and that's that's what I wanted to get across to the listeners, the caliber of musician that you are. Oh. You know, I mean, yeah, we've got my cousin plays you know, ukulele in the basement and, you know, right. and, and, no, and, and music is not a competition at all, but yeah. you know, I play 130 shows a year on, you know, pre COVID, but I was never songwriter of the year. I was never this accolade or that accolade. And that doesn't define me, but I think it's cool that you've been uh, in the music community. They've, I, they've teed that up and no, you know, I, I, acknowledged I really, you for those things. I, right? I really appreciate that. That's, First of all, it's it's a huge honor to win all the, the awards, especially out of this community. I know how music rich Houston is, and you can you can ask all the touring musicians, especially if you're in a blues band or a blues rock band or a metal band, uh, if you're going to go pick up a band of musicians to take out on the road, and you need a bass player, or you need a drummer, or you need a lead guitar guy, you go to Houston. Yeah, it's because it's where it's where all of it is. And then you look at the songwriters that have come out of the town and that have spent, you know, extensive time in Houston. And and you've got Lucinda Williams and and Towns Van Zandt. Yeah. And I just just a myriad of really awesome, awesome, well-honed writers and musicians and singers and vocalists. Well, well, I was going to say you you're a humble musician, I can tell. And the, again, the accolades don't define you, but there's a lot of musicians in Houston that could get awards, but don't get those totally those types of nods. And that's kudos to you for that, right? Thank I you. mean, you you know as well as I do, the market's saturated here yeah. with great talent, right? Yeah, I mean, there's sure. a lot of I have personal friends that play that should have had record contracts years ago but just we're never in the right place at the right time and and they blow away a lot of the stuff that i've seen it's like why were you guys why were you guys never on rca or sony or one of the well or one of the big labels it's, a, but. it's because uh you need mentors you you got to have mentors to put you in the position in front of those people because um honestly that's that's like if there is a goal uh, that i have for for music in the long run and what got me into production and all of that is is trying to get to the state of the game to where I can help put people in front of the right people so that sure. that can happen because the music industry it's not just live music it's not just what's going on in your hometown and and there aren't like roaming scouts just going around the country looking for that magical the next band one, like yeah. you've, you've watched on every every movie that talks about music industry that's all you know i don't i don't know that that ever existed but it's like you you, there needs to be 
mentorship within the community that can can help push that yeah. to the next level because because there's there's a window there's a window on on career and while you're you're hot that you need to you need to hit while the iron's hot hey, you strike know? strike while the strike, irons are hot yeah, it's an old adage for sure yeah for sure um, and I kind of anticipated your answer for this next question so I I thought maybe I'll I'll rephrase the question I was going to ask you. Do you prefer producing or performing? But I knew the answer would probably be, well, those are, I love them both. They're two different things. So the rephrased question would be, if you had one taken away and you were only left with one or the other, which do you get the more enjoyment from? At this stage of the game in my career, it would, it would most definitely be production. It would be production. It would be songwriting. It would be producing and helping other people get where they want to be and actually see see the, the vision that they've got in their head that they can't explain to everyone, taking that vision and turning it into something that is exactly what they had in their head, and then they get to go give it to the world, and then that's, that's the piece of art they wanted to show everyone, and and that's really fulfilling for me. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, I think that's where it would be. It would be in production. I love live music. I love performing live. I think that's a little bit more on the selfish side of myself. It's like, Hey, let's go burn this place down yep. and, and rock. Yep. And I feel like I've, I've gotten to do that on some big, really big stages and on some really small stages. Yep. And I know that I know my band can do that. Yeah. And that's more of a personal thing. I dig that answer. And um, the reason I do is because I've had several people recently since I've started the podcast say, which do you prefer doing the podcast or playing live? And I said, I love them both. Just like I knew you would answer that question. Right. But to be honest, I think that I get more satisfaction of sitting across the table from guys like yourself and learning about, where your head's at and where you came from and helping guys like you to gain even one more listener. It, I've totally. done my job, right? And yeah, that's my sure. gift back to my peers. I don't owe you nothing. You don't owe me anything, but it's a community, right? And uh, that's kind of the mindset behind it. It's not a monetary thing. And, and just kind of like you said, I get more satisfaction probably out of guiding somebody to the next level and, and watching them succeed. And that, I think that comes with age. If you would have asked both of us the same question in our thirties, you would have got a totally different totally answer, right? Different it would have been about, it's all about Randy and it's all about John, right? Yeah. How do I get to the next level? hundred percent, hundred percent. When I was in my thirties, I had a loft downtown and downtown Houston across from Minute Maid Park. And it was all based on, okay, what's my next song? What are we doing? Um, we would tour, we'd come back and I'd immediately walk across the street to the bar and sit down and start writing songs. So, so self-consumed. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I've gotten to where I, I've, I feel like, you know, there's something bigger. If, if I do have a talent at doing this, then I want to, I, I want it to be less about me and more about the really talented person that, that I'm in the studio with. I think to be successful, I think you have to be, a somewhat self-consumed because if you're not looking out for yourself and making moves for yourself, who the hell is going to do it for you? Right. And I think that there has to be a little bit of a, 
I, I don't know if I'd call it an arrogance or an ego, but there has to be a confidence in about, you know, what you do. It's about how do I make you feel like I know, like I'm conf- I'm confident, right? Totally. And you have to, like, running a football team as a quarterback, you, you have to exude that. If you don't, absolutely, you, you don't have a chance. And that was one thing, you know. I, I always go back to my football days, the experiences I had as a quarterback and running a huddle full of, full of people. You know, people respond differently to the way you communicate with them. Some people need a, need a hey, man, you need to do this or I'm going to kick your ass. Yes. Or some people, if you say that, it's going to tear them down and they're not going to be able not to gonna do, anything. Do, do anything. So it's like you, you learn how to how to communicate and you, I can usually size someone up in the first 10 minutes. Exactly. And I right, try, judge a character. I, right? I've, I've put a whole lot of stock into pre-production and producing a record and, and getting in and talking and understanding who these people are and why they're doing this and what they want to do and getting to where everyone's on the same page. And then once we get on the same page, then it's like, okay, let's go make, let's go make music history with this. Exactly. Now it, that's kind of a great segue because you, you picked producing over performing, share with the listeners, some of the people that you've produced for and worked with. I know a couple of them, but in your own words, share like maybe, maybe name drop a little bit. Um, you <laughs> well, know, some, some it, things that you've done successfully. I, w- I was, uh, you know, I was based out of Houston and I toured around with, with Corey Morrow and Pat Green and, and Roger Kreger and that whole uh, Texas scene of people and to, to where I, I, you know, I've, I met all of those guys and we, we were out playing shows all over Texas before there was a scene called the Texas music scene, you know, before it was like anything prior to that would have been Willie Nelson and the outlaw stuff. So it was early on there and I, they were making these records that they sounded great, but it was a, it was more of a hill country type of vibe, mm-hmm. and my stuff was a lot more energetic. Yep. And so people heard my records, and they're like, wow, that's it's cool what you did with the vocal on that, or I really like that guitar tone, or how'd you get the drums to do that, and why does it sound like this part's AM radio, and blah, 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 blah. And so as I was meeting people around, they kind of – asked me how I was getting my records like that. And I was like, well, it's just the way I hear it in my head. And, and they were like, can you do that for me? And I was like, yeah, let me hear what you've got. And, and so it started off, what ended up happening from, from me traveling around was I met a bunch of musicians Mm -hmm. and then they dug the records that, that I was making and they asked if I could do it for them. And so I've, I started off, I've, I mean, I started off with a band called the U joints. U joints, and uh, they an they auto were, mechanic they, reference, they, I guess, right? Yeah, this yeah. is like this super punk, trashy, the trashiest band you you've ever heard, and they're like, we want it to sound like your record, and I was like, it's probably not going to sound like my record <laughs> with you guys playing, and so I was like, let's dive into, let's dive into what y'all do, and so we made this really great country punk record that sounded super trashy, and it sounded like like they played these songs on the very best day that they could have ever played these songs. Okay. And, and so it was like the best worst record you ever listened to. Yeah. And then from there, people kind of liked the way I, my, just like the way 
I've used vocals and the way I used the drums and the way I, the, the, how the guitar came in. And then I started um, producing more people. And then I got up to where I guess I'm trying to think my first big band. I, I produced a band called FCO here in Houston back in the late nineties, early, early two thousands. And they had some success with that. And then I ended up, uh, just to name a few people I've, I've, a couple years back, I did Jesse Dayton's record. I've done Corb Lund. Corb Lund's a big, big artist out of Canada. And the uh, first record I did for Corb was a record called Cabin Fever. Okay. We did that in Edmonton. And that record, when it came out, um, Justin Bieber had just put a record out in, on Canadian radio. Oh, so you're talking about Edmonton, Alberta then? Al- right? Edmonton, okay. Alberta. Okay, up in Canada. Okay. And... That record came out in Canada, and Justin Bieber was at number one. And the next week, Corb knocked him out of the number one spot. So it's like nice, like, yeah. rock on. So did that record, and I've I've done three records for him so far. He's got one out right now called Agricultural Tragic. That's really awesome. He's got a, a regular did, version and a deluxe version. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I, I haven't heard his stuff, but oh, I, you, no, I no no no. You that's get, that's part of why I love doing this is because. I get to learn about new people that I've never even heard of, and I get to get turned on to their stuff. For sure, so. for sure. So Corb Lund, you, you've got to – his name's been misspelled more times than – Is it L-U-N-D? Yes. Lund. Lund. C-O-R-B. B. Corb. Yeah. Corb Lund, yeah. And then I've, I've done – I've gotten to work with a, a country singer. I, I ran into him probably 2011, 2012, and his name's Jason James. Okay, and I've done two records with him so far, and and he's a really super old school sounding, big big into Hank Williams and Lefty Frizzell and George Jones that that style of music, and yes. we've done two two really classic country records with him, and we're working on another one right now that we haven't jumped in the studio yet, but that's nice. that's that's the the next project there, and then I've done some work with uh, Hayes Carl, co-produced. K Mag Yo Yo, a few tracks on K Mag Yo Yo, and co-wrote that song with him. Who else have we got? Didn't you? Didn't you have some success, or maybe even a number one hit with Roger, um, Roger back Craig. in two thousand two thousand eight ish, two thousand nine, if I, I remember correctly. I, I've written or co-written a, a lot of songs for Roger, and and it got to where we we were when he started to write a record. He was like, "Okay, man, I need a hit." The first one he 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 asked me for was "My Mother's a Redneck Too." He took that one and and made it a radio hit in Texas, and so the next one came around and and I, I'm I'm thinking which I can, they I get mixed up but I've done probably five or six songs with him and and on each record we we usually get a single we had um, the song I had a song that I was playing called I'm from the beer joint and I played it kind of a mixture between Hank Williams and Jerry Lee Lewis kind of style. And he heard it and he was like, Oh man, that's an anthem. And he said, uh, can I, can I write on that with you? And I was mm-hmm. like, heck yeah. And he's like, it seems like it needs a chorus. And I right. was like, yeah, let's go, let's go do it. And so we rewrote it and that ended up in 2012. I think it was the number one song in Texas. Nice. And Yeah amazing stuff yeah and it's interesting that you mentioned uh Hayes Carl I he's one of my favorites and I performed some of his songs in in my shows and uh there's one that I 
that I love that I usually don't because I don't want beer bottles thrown at me, but it's the, if I ever find Jesus, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> she left me for Jesus. Yeah. 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 I, so that can, that can be misinterpreted one way or another. So oh, he, uh, he's saying, he's saying that on the Opry stage, I think, and almost got run, run out of town. No kidding. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, I think it was there. It was either there or, or he played it in Kentucky or I can't remember. And then he had to go play the, the, the Ryman, but yeah, that one. I I was really angry when he when I heard that the first time. I was like, "How did you not call me? Like, how how did I not get in on that right <laughs> sesh, man?" <laughs> I think it it's a, I think it's pretty brilliant. And and oh. I've played a couple of Facebook lives, uh, you know, during COVID. And I had it it had dwindled down one evening to probably you know a handful, maybe two handfuls of people. And I of course I knew personally all these people, and I'm like okay, it's time to pull this song out. And now, you know, every time after that, it's like, hey, can you play the Jesus song? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's it's kind of wildly popular, right? It's, I, it's a pretty I awesome song. I had no idea that he had written this song. And I was at the Mucky Duck, and he was playing a show at the, the Duck, and I was hanging out with Rusty and Teresa at the bar, and he started talking about it. And, you know, half the reason I, got, I became a big fan of Hayes was for the way he responded between songs you know his his uh leads between between tunes are as good as they get i mean in my in my book i think yeah. that's, that's where a lot of his talent lies and he told the story and the whole time i was like what what what, what what's this song and then he started singing it and it like it's like someone cut me out at the knees like mm-hmm. i couldn't i couldn't believe it i heard the hook and i was like oh my gosh yeah I can't believe brilliant yeah. I, I can't believe you didn't call me thanks a lot dude <laughs> i appreciate yeah, you I appreciate, yeah appreciate you thanks bro <laughs> he's a woodlands product i guess and you you were telling me jack ingram, pre-show jack ingram too is a woodlands okay product. interesting yeah um but uh hayes is in nashville now is yes is that correct okay yeah he I got there in November of 2019, and he got there in May of 2019. Okay. So he was like, are you really going to show up, man? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it, dude. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so do you produce your own stuff, or do you have somebody else? It's kind of like the doctor. I don't, I don't want to operate on my family, right? right. I'll let my, my partner do that or somebody else do it. Is is that is that kind of the mindset with I, you or you, you don't mind producing? You probably, I mean, who knows your stuff better and how you want it to sound than you. Right. But I didn't know if you passed that duty on to somebody. I've had one person produce a record and that's Jack Saunders. And he, he produced uh, Biggest Fool in Town. Okay. And just completely crushed it. You know, went and, and played all the guitar parts, woodshedded, I mean, into all the rockabilly stuff, completely slayed the record. And, then he also convinced me during all of that. He was like, you need to just go buy a Telecaster. He was like, you're going to be a tele player. He told me that, and and I believed him, and I went and got a Telecaster. And then from there on out, it was it was about, I guess, three years before I could cut another record. And then at that stage of the game, I, I, was, I was thinking I was going to get Gerf Morlicks to, to do my next record. And by the time it it came to the time to do it. It was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to produce it myself. Yeah. And I produced out of control at ardent in Memphis, had a manager based out of, out of New York that said, Hey man, let's go do this. I know these people at ardent and, 
and uh, it's a great studio, a lot of history. And so I went and did it there. And then from there on out, I've produced every record. I, I've, I've also associated myself with really good engineers that, that can dial up what I want. Sure. Um, like the a lot of the sounds, if it was just me engineering, we wouldn't it wouldn't sound the same. Yeah. Now, I, I know that you were, were you born in the Northeast? Is that? I was born in Quantico, Virginia. Okay. My, my, dad, my dad was uh, in the Marines. He was a Marine Corps helicopter pilot. Flew President Johnson. HMX one and spent two two terms in Vietnam, and then when I was born, he got an opportunity to get out, and he jumped at it and got out. And then from there, we moved to Memphis, and from Memphis, we moved to um, the Woodlands, Shenandoah Valley. When I was in yeah. kindergarten, mm-hmm. and then and then we were there for a year, and then we moved to Sagemont, and down I, south. I, yeah. I, I grew up grew up in Sagemont and then did the little switcheroo yeah. in the middle of it. Yeah, and what about where weren't you in Austin for a while? Did you live in Austin at one time or I I, I spent I spent the past from 2010 through November of 2019 in Austin. Okay. So all of all the a big chunk of my learning years of the industry was based out of Houston. So I was always like Oh, he's from Houston. Like, it was. All, it, I, I always. They're like, why? Why aren't you in Austin? Why aren't you in Nashville? Why aren't you in L.A.? Why? Why? Why are you based out of Houston? I was like, well, why? Why not? Why not. Yeah, what's exactly. wrong with Houston? Houston yeah. rocks. Yeah, you know, it's a great city for sure. Best food in the world. Yep. Now you have residents in Nashville. Yes. But you live in down in the Dickinson area. Yeah. Well, um, right? I I live with with my dad right now. I live in live in Nashville, but I'm also down helping take care of my my folks in in Dickinson. They my dad's my mom and dad have a house down on the Dickinson Bio. Okay. Right there where the 146 bridge crosses over the Dickinson Bio. Yep. So we're one of those guys down there with the piers with the with the lights on. Okay. Is that, what do they call that uh, shore? Um, what's the community right there at 146? Um, there's Shore Acre. There's shore. South, South Shore Harbor. Mm, I'm um, thinking of something else. Clear Lake. Okay. And then there's Bay Cliff. And we we live across the bio from Hillman's, which is okay. a really old seafood company. Yes. That, okay. Um, yeah. I've played Jackie's Brick House um, okay. down in the Kima area and, you know, I come up the 146 to, to Jackie's. I don't play okay. that side of town that much, but um, I was thinking that you had a place in Dickinson or somewhere down yeah. down down south. It's it's considered Dickinson. Okay, that's that's, that's the mailing address. Is I Dickinson, got you. But we're on the Texas City side of the bio. Okay, so album wise, I think you said you had not nine albums out. Was polyester the latest? One that you've the, put out. Polyester's the, the the latest that have has been distributed. And is, yes. was that was like a 2015, 16, somewhere Six, around that time frame? 2016 release date. We recorded it actually in 2012. Okay. And so it, it took took a while to get get that one out. I think there was some inspiration on that album uh, that that kind of circled around your daughter Abby. Is that correct? Yeah, Abigail. Okay. The the coolest thing about that record and the biggest connection that I had with her was that, you know, I'd been cutting in studios and producing in studios 
and we had a little house in Austin that uh, uh, it was right in the cool part of town, and I thought it would be neat to to record the record at the house. Okay, and so I called Steve Christensen from here in Houston, and he said, "Yeah, man, I'll I'll just load up the studio and we'll come set up and record for." 10 days or however long it takes. I was like, okay. And so Abigail was there the whole time. Abby was there and, uh, and she was giving me the thumbs up or the thumbs down on, on my, you know, the production of how it was going. Sure. Like, yeah, that's cool, but it could rock a little harder. Dad, come on. (laughs) Pick it up, pick up your game. And and so we had, that was the biggest part with that album. And the fact that I'd written those songs with her, in the house like the, those were all new songs that I'd written since I'd been in Austin the past two years and that whole time Abigail was living with me for the first time and that was part of the reason we moved to Austin was was uh was she was going to move in with me and and I asked her I picked her up in Beaumont and I said okay we've got we've got a choice we can either live in Houston or we can move to Austin and she said let's move to Austin yeah Sounds like, cool. All right. right. Sounds yeah. cool. And yeah. she gave me the nucks. And yeah. So you did it. We got this. And so we, we went and we moved in with Hayes, actually, for like three weeks. Lived in Hayes' laundry closet. And <laughs> Did it smell and, in there or no? Well, it's Hayes. Of course it smelled. <laughs> um, and then found a house and, and moved directly in. It was it was pretty amazing. So all of, all of those songs were, were with her in the house and, and her on the road with me. Can we maybe chat about her just real, real oh, briefly? Sure. So you lost Abby in 2013. Is that is that time frame correct? That's correct. 13 December 23rd. December 23rd, and that's which makes it even tougher, right? Around Christmas time, you know, it's, it's, there's no great time to to lose anybody you love, but it's it's harder around the holidays because I think everybody's more sentimental and. Yeah. Uh, the the there's emotional time I don't know but it, I, I could I could see where that would be tough. Yeah, it was it was a it was a, a tough scenario. Mm-hmm. Abigail, if y'all if y'all don't know, Abigail had a a rare skin disease called epidermolysis bullosa, and uh, it it's spelled kind of exactly like I pronounced it. So if you want to look it up, it's a skin disease where your upper layer of skin doesn't want to bond to the lower layer of skin, to put it in layman's terms. And it also affects, it's like all, all, all of your epidermis is affected. So it, it affects your hands, your elbows, your shoulders, your face. And then also a lot of your in, internal organs are also considered epidermis. And so, yeah, it was a scenario where from the day she was born, we were doing everything to, to keep her alive. You yeah. Know? And she was wow. a fighter, man. Wow. Now, there was a, a film that I believe was an award-winning film, South by Southwest type thing, that featured you and Abby and your ex. And, yes. and, it, and it basically kind of walked through... First of all, tell us a little bit about the film Butterfly Girl, and then the second part of that would be how would the listeners go and find where to watch this? Because I right. think it's very interesting. If you don't know about the disease, 
and you're a John Evans fan uh, and an Evans family fan, I think right. it's important to to spend the hour and 17 minutes on the on the documentary. I found it very interesting. So tell us Absolutely. a little bit about that. So when when we were approached about doing this, I thought, well, I think I'm okay with getting followed around and and documenting Abby's life because it it is such a alternative life for a kid that was her age you know it's it's coming of age kind of documentary where she was up against all odds and and I sat down with her and and said do you really want to do this is it something that you want to do because because it's going to expose it's going to expose what you actually go through and she said dad I think I want to do it and then we we sat on that for a few months, and then I I talked to the director, and I said the only way we're going to do this is if can shoot this, and at the end of it, I can see that you you aren't portraying her as a victim, and that this is this is shot and displays as showing the the strong side of who she is, and and I felt like they did a really great job yeah, of that. And, I agree. You know, I didn't want to like like stranglehold the director and say, hey don't do your job but i at the same time i wanted to make sure that that abby was well represented and and that people could see the, how strong she she was and is and, and you know she was alive through the whole thing and yeah. we, we had no idea that she was she was suddenly going to pass away yeah and so we got it completed and then and then a year later south by came up and accepted it to south by southwest and it was it was after she had passed away and and so it, it was a really tough time it was a tough year you know to go through yeah i i've i've found that you know the the struggles that you find in a relationship or with with your friends or your parents or your whoever but the struggles are what what make that relationship really really valuable and and the the more you go through in a relationship you know, it's what it's what builds the strength that that helps it last forever. Yeah, and what I picked up, you talked about the courage and the strength, and if you see the film, you'll understand. I mean, this condition is not a joke in any stretch of the imagination. And I may use the wrong terminology here, or okay. um, the wrong uh, defining words, but I don't mean it in any kind of disrespectful means, but her courage was so great that she became a lab rat for, for better, for, you know, I mean, I can't think of a better way to put it, but I mean, yeah, she's was, the one that called, she went, you know, Stanford and basically said, Hey, do you have openings? Do you, do you need human Guinea pigs? Right. Yeah. She said, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to go and, and do whatever ex- experimentation we can do to, to help, find a cure for this and yeah and the way she saw it was like hey i get to go to san francisco that was her way to get out there she's like i get to i get to see the west coast and it was really awesome it's like i'm i'm really proud of her yeah she's she's that's pretty badass yeah for sure and i think that was around the time that she was ready to just be her own person right and just go do what I think 19 year old people do, you know, just go see things and meet new people. And because, you know, she was your quote unquote merch girl and she sold your stuff. And 
you know, I think we all have our own identity. You know, you, you have your own identity. I have my own identity. I'm have a lot of tattoos and you, you know, you, you have your look and, and, and and we all want to be remembered for certain things. And absolutely. And, and she had, she had been smothered by her mother and me, but you know, it was just something where we, there was no two ways around it. We were always looking after her. But you did what you had to do, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it was just, I wouldn't have done it any different. So. Yeah, and so she was She was getting ready. She was She was ready to, to fly break. the coop. Yeah, fly the coop. <laughs> no, thanks Thanks for sharing that. And, and you guys, if you if you can, I, I, I watched that on YouTube. Is there, can you think of another I, I, it, medium I, that, I that know can watch that, it on? I know that it was on, it was on Hulu. For the past year, I'm I'm not sure. I'm sure it's still there, but I haven't I haven't checked lately. Okay. Sometimes it's tough to to go back and watch that. I could imagine. I could imagine. You know? Well, you guys, if you want to learn more about the condition and and just kind of see what it's like for a a father and a touring musician and a uh, a couple that you know had a bond with a daughter, you know that was the the tide that bind uh, or tie that bound or however yeah. you want to say that, but you guys worked in conjunction or tried to work in conjunction with one another to, to get her the best help that you could possibly get. But it's, it's definitely worth a watch of learning more about the disease. And then, you know, just the, the trials and tribulations of having uh, been dealt a pretty rough hand there. For sure. sure. And it's not, it's not a downer, a downer documentary. So no. you go in looking at going to watch it and it's kind of inspiring. It is, you know, it's not, it's not something where it's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty inspiring. Well, and I, we talked a little bit pre hitting the record button on the show. And I don't know if I could go through those things, but you know, I, I mentioned to you that we all, we all find this fight or flight. Um, we, we step up our game. Right. I, I, and and it was kind of interesting. My mind went to probably about a month or so ago. I got in the middle of a dog fight, like a literal two dogs locked in engagement. And the listeners can't see, but I've got scars on my hands of yeah. trying to separate these dogs. But I took one dog bite wow. right here on the thumb. And the only reason why I'm telling the listeners that is I know that when I'm Travis picking my guitar and I hit that one spot, it, it like it wakes you up like it hurts. And I said, when I watched that documentary, all of the conditions with, with Abby's skin, like what in the living hell could that have felt like? I know what yeah. a blister, you know, when I was getting calluses to play the guitar, I, I remember what the blisters felt like. Right. This is something that she dealt with. On a constant Like basis. Jesus Christ. I mean, these blisters were golf ball and baseball size blisters, right? Yeah. Didn't they get that big? It's, yeah, it's it, it was, yeah, it was something that we, where we had to... It really affected her hands and her elbows, her knees, and her feet. Things that moved a lot, you know, it's just something where you're gonna, it's gonna be, there's gonna be abrasion. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it was one of those deals, and and she didn't know any better. Yeah. Her whole life, it didn't yeah. make it less painful, but it was like she had, she knew what was in store if something happened, and and so it was like, okay, here's another day. I just got to deal with this and. And move on. And that's, that shows you the type of strength she had. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and we'll, we'll change gears here a little bit. And again, John, thanks for that. I know that oh, that's sure. kind thanks, of digging thanks. into the brain archive and sometimes taking you to a, 
to place that's probably a little tender, uh, even even still, it'll always be tender. But I, I think it's important for it's an important story for people to know. Like I, if they're not if they've I never dealt completely. with something like this, so it's yeah. you know we're we're trying to I think tell the listeners in a positive light. It's a it's an inspirational documentary, and you know it's awesome. Y'all yeah. should, y'all should go watch it and meet Abigail. She's she's awesome. Yeah. Possibly Hulu and for sure YouTube is where I watch that. But again, to change gears a little bit, I wanted to share uh, a few song clips here. There was a release that you had called Lollygagging back in uh, 2009. And I'm going to share a clip. You know, I kind of went through the catalog and I said, I like that one. I like that one. So I picked out some of my favorites. But this first one here that we'll take a listen to is a song called The Things I Didn't Do. And uh, we'll take a listen to that, and then we'll come back and chat a little bit about the song. Cool. I've heard a G-string fall flat. I've seen a G-string fall to the floor. Perspective changes everything. Choices are revolving door. So don't mourn me none when the curtain falls I was only passing through And judge me, Lord, upon All the things I didn't do Help me leave behind a wretched scar Of beauty on this world That I might leave a mark That could be paved into a road Where people live the wonderment And every day is new Judge me, Lord, upon The things I didn't do Please judge me, Lord, upon The things I didn't do So that was a song called Things I Didn't Do. What inspired that song? I'm glad you asked that. That's that's a I ask great questions, it's, John. It's, it's great. You dug. You dug deep. <laughs> it was funny. There's a group of people that throw the the art car show. Is yep. it the orange group? Is that what I think called? so, yeah. Yeah. And they were doing a tribute a tribute show that was gonna be a big show. Um, probably six or seven hundred people, and I was going to have to get up and sing three Towns Van Zant songs. And I'm not. If you've ever been to a show, ninety nine percent of it's all original material. Yeah. And I grew up uh, wanting to write songs and not necessarily cover songs. And the ones that I did cover were were tunes that I basically had to had to play at a beer joint and. Pasadena to to make them happy. Yep. You know, Folsom Prison or something sure. like that. Yeah, the staples. And and so I always, it was kind of something in the back of my head where it was like, okay, you're going to do original music. You don't need to go and learn a bunch of cover songs. And then it got to where it was really tough for me to recall the lyrics of cover songs. And so I was going to have to get up and sing three Towns Van Zant songs so I took it really seriously because the last thing I wanted to do was get up and sing a town song and screw it up. Yep. I had to do a Dylan song once, and 
this is after the Towns Van Zandt thing, and it plagued me. I just listened to some Dylan songs, and I found one that was rocking, and I was like, yeah, I'll do that one. And so they said, okay, you're doing that one. And then I went to learn it, and it was five and a half minutes long, and it was nothing but lyrics. Mm-hmm. And he only, he re- repeated one phrase, you know, every now and then. And so I had to get up and do that, and it, I was terrified. But I did it. It ended up being really cool. But for the town songs, it was just going to be me. No backing band. Yep. And so I started learning these songs. And it took me about two weeks, basically every night, going through these songs and looking at the lyrics and then singing the song and then taking the lyrics away and then trying to make sure I didn't screw them up. We got to about two days before the show. And a tropical storm came through Houston. And the show canceled. And... I was elated, and at the same time, I was kind of mad. Yeah. More so than disappointed, I was like, I just put all of the t- that time in doing something that I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to learn other people's lyrics, and I really don't want to put that kind of effort into something because I can't screw up a Towns Van Zandt song. No. And I was like, I would have been better off if I just wrote my own Towns Van Zandt song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, well, I'm going to do that. And so I put myself in the place of Towns Van Sant, and then I wrote things I didn't do. And it was like point blank, wrote the song right there on the paper, picked it out on the guitar as a finger-picking song, and then I remembered the lyrics. It was crazy. Wow. It was like, it was like I, I, I knew that one better than I can't even remember the three songs I was going to do for Towns Van Sant. Interesting. Yeah. I only do one by him in my shows, and I think it was one that, probably Willie made famous poncho and lefty right great great tune yeah and when i say that it's 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 not out of disrespect towards the artist there's so many like willie nelson i wouldn't want to screw up one of his songs either yeah you know it's just uh i've got so much respect for songwriters for sure and especially ones with those credentials and and that everyone sees as you know the the pinnacle of songwriting or whatever that for sure where they've they've placed him now you know so it's like i'm just gonna write my own town song and, and end up being that that's cool and so off that same effort um you also had a song called waco waco and we'll take a quick listen to that and come back and chat about it i head to oklahoma city for a one-night stand those red dirt girls they want a texas band i'm spinning in a twister good golly which way to be That sounds like a typical night in the life of a musician on the road. But in your own words, what is that song about? And where is the wrong side of Waco? It's right? everywhere. Everywhere. It's, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. So what happened there was I was playing a show in Stephenville, and I was coming from Houston. 
and I had a fill-in piano player that was going to play piano for us this night in the big dance hall, you know. And big show, he left early in the morning, and he kept calling, okay, where are where are y'all now? And I was like, man, we're coming, I promise, dude. <laughs> I don't know, we're about 100 miles on the outside of Waco. And he was like, so you're almost here? And I was like, no, we're on 100 miles out on the wrong side of Waco. And the whole band... When I said that, sitting back there, they all go, oh, whoa, that's a song. That's a song. <laughs> and by the time we got to Stephenville, I'd written the whole thing. I could just sit there. It's like, okay, bam, 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 just throwing, throwing lyrics into the, into the phone. And we got there late. But we started playing at the right time. Yeah. So that's that's what mattered in the end. Are, are musicians ever on time for anything? Uh, everyone knows. It's like, what time are you playing tonight, John? I'm like, oh, ish. When, when, whenever. It's, it's whenever the ish-ish. mood strikes. It's yeah. nine-ish. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, this we're, we're, we're not playing a theater. Yeah. You know, we're, we're at a beer joint. Guys. Exactly. We start when they, when they crack the And they're the pumped up, up right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, would you consider yourself a natural songwriter? Uh, because I believe that you're either a lyricist or you're a lyrical airhead. Like you can either write a song or you can't write a song. Would you, would you say that that gift is a natural or do you have to work really hard to, to come up with ideas and yeah. melody lines and things like that? I think I've, like my music has been steered through emotion more than anything else. I've got my influences which are based in Delta blues, honky tonk, rock and roll country. And from a lyrical standpoint, I kind of think about what would I think if I heard someone else say this? Would I think, Oh, that's, that's a good line. Or would I be, Oh dude, you're reaching. And so I've always got that kind of edit button in my head. Yeah. I want to push the gamut, but at the same time, it's like, it's like, okay, so I don't like to censor myself, but yeah. I do like to edit. Like back in the day, it was, I'm going to go out and drink and I'm going to write and I'm going to drink and I'm going to write and I'm going to drink, but I'm going to edit this thing sober, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was my mentality early on. But I think it is, I think it's more of a, you either have it or you don't have it for sure. You know, and people that force it, I can, I can, you tell. can tell, I yeah. can tell for sure. And I can like with other artists, I, I, I'm, when I'm producing a record, it's like, okay, I'm going to be brutally honest with everything. We're, if we're going to do the record, we're going to do it the way it needs to be done. And I'm going to be brutally honest. And the reason you're hiring me is because for your expertise, you you, you trust me. Yeah. And if you don't trust me, I I understand that it's no hard feelings. You should find someone else. Well, as a good producer, you have a due diligence to, to be the guide, right? You're, you gotta be the guide. The, the record is a complete success or a complete failure and and that in your hands that's right? in my hands it's, yeah. it's it's on my shoulders so that's the way I I approach every project that makes sense and, and so one of my one of my favorites off the 2008 release called Lucky 13 was a song called Hoochie and a Honky Tonk let's play a quick clip of that and then we'll come back and chat all right
love that line. You don't have any tattoos. Your tattoos are scars. And we, we were having a conversation before we started recording. And, and John had made some comments about my artwork on my arms. And he said, well, I don't have any yet. So I really didn't think about that too much until just now. Was that song written in like a first person? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> Or you can plead the fifth. That's perfectly yeah. fine. Um, I wrote that one with my all-time, first-time songwriting buddy, Ronnie Walker. And we we wrote it via text message back and forth to each other. We were trying to one-up one each other yeah. on, on the line. Oh, sure. And the tattoo line was Abby had to have a surgery, a hand surgery. And they had to take skin grafts from her stomach, like underneath her belly button. Mm-hmm. And they took the skin grafts from there, and then they grafted it on her hands. And we knew, we knew that it was going to leave a scar, okay? And it was about a six- or seven-inch scar that basically was going to be, like, parallel with her waistline, okay? Like, so straight across her stomach. And so I talked to, I talked to the doctor at, while Abby was in there, and I said, so this is going to be a scar, and it's going to be there forever, right? And he, he said, yes. And the doctor's name is Dr. Netcher. I said, well, Dr. Netcher, is there any way that you can make it look like a Cadillac V so that it, it goes down to a point? So it's like so it's like a tattoo, but it's a scar. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I can do that. And so he made the, the scar look like a Cadillac V, like, like the emblem on the front of a sure. Cadillac. Yeah. And I told Abby, I was like, hey, you're going you're gonna to have a scar, but... You, your tattoo cool is going to be cool. It's going to be a flying B, and it'll be be just like a tattoo, but it's a scar. It's cooler than a tattoo. Yeah. She was like, yeah. <laughs> and so we that's did awesome. that, and then after we did that, that's why I put the, put that line in the in the song. And, you know, beer life, um, bar life, everyone's got tattoos, and when are you going to get your tattoo? And yeah. Whatever, and so that's that was my one clever line that threw I, at it. I like it. I think that we've all probably experienced a version of a hoochie at the bar, right? Yeah, at some point. I mean, we all grew up, similar. you know, it's uh, it's mean, all in the cards. Male or female. Exactly. You know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Guy hoochies, too. Oh, there. You know? For sure, there's that. Would you say that most of your songs are written based on factual of events, or do you do you dream songs up, too, right? Does it always have to be an experience, or... It's, um, or does it come out better if it's an experience or do you just, you know, pick a word out, you know, in songwriting classes, you pick a word and then right. you write around the word. Right. right. So I didn't know if some of your stuff comes out like that or not, um, or if it's a combination. Most of my songs, the stuff that ends up making, making the record has, has got a, a connection to me somewhere. Okay. You know, and that's, I'm not sure who told me it may have been Rex Bell, um, guy who previously owned the old quarter down in Galveston. Yeah. He said, man, got to live it to write it, man. You got to live it to write it. He was sure. played with Towns Van Zant and all that. And he's always like, you got to live it to write it. And so that early on in my career, that kind of stuck with me. And so, and it makes sense. Yeah. You know? it, it's, well, it, it puts you in a place of authority over what you're talking about or singing about. And it makes it believable. If you believe it, then everyone else will believe it. So that's where I've based most of my writing. Yeah. Um, but I do use, I think about writing courses in, in high school where I would, I would have an assignment and then I'd have to go write about the assignment. Like 
when I first went to Knox Junior High, I was in a creative writing course, and it was my first day there, and it was a Friday, and, and the lady said, you've got this assignment. You're going to make up a make up your own product that you're going to sell, and you need to write a commercial and then get up in front of the class on Monday and sell it. And so I thought, okay, I don't know anybody. This is the first time I'm getting up in front of anyone. And so I made up a product called Super Shine Cleaner. Okay. And Super Shine Cleaner was eyeglasses cleaner. Mm-hmm. And so I made up a, a commercial, and I got up in the front of the class basically the first day that anyone said hi to me. And I said, hi to hi there, all you friends and neighbors. This is John speaking, so get your eyes peeking. Come on down and buy my cleaner. It's a lot meaner because it's from Pasadena. It's got <laughs> shine. It's got class. If you've got a smudge, it'll clean your glass. People wear glasses know what I mean. You can't see unless your glasses are clean. Just squirt out a dab and rub it on in. If you get another smudge, just do it again. A $1.99 is all it costs with Super Shine Cleaner. You won't even get lost. Super Shine Cleaner is what you say. Get on the squirt. Get off the spray. I dig that. That's Boom. cool. And so that, that was my introduction to everyone. And so my sister and I got in the bedroom, you know, that, that weekend before Monday. And we wrote that thing. And then ever since then, I've been writing. It was like that was the, that was the kickoff kick yeah. to it. And I remember it. <laughs> wow. And it's cool that you remember every word of that yeah. still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when you write it, you tend to not forget it. It's, it's what they say. Muscle muscle memory. For sure. For yeah. sure. Now, there was um, one off the polyester release that Think Polyester, we talked about coming out around two, 2016. 16, yeah. And it was, um, or is a tune called uh, Grandma's Chair. Yeah. And I think the first time I saw the video on YouTube, I think Jack Ingram had actually introduced the song. And I think. And I correct me if I'm wrong, and you may know more than I do, but I, I think Ray Benson is the host of that show, and he was right. with a group called Asleep at the Wheel, right. which had a lot of success. We'll take a listen to Grandma's Chair, and then we'll come back and chat a little bit about that. Cool. I got a brand new place in a brand new town. They're both kind of dirty. They've both been around They just need a little love Cause they're worn down I got a brand new place In a brand new town I've got a house down the street From a grocery store Squares are cheap when you buy two packs or more Well, it's a point two miles from my front door I've got a house down the street from a grocery store My boots are broken in I've got a head start with the wind (laughs) 
since I started doing these clips, you know, I've, I've listened to the clips over and over again, and I've really fallen in love with this song. And as, as we were letting it play, you held up a pack of cigarettes across the table. What inspired the song? And, you know, you made, a, I guess, a reference to the cigarettes in the, in the song. Talk a little bit about that. Well, my, my, sister, my sister and her husband always called cigarette squares when I was in high school. They're like, you got a pack of squares? So I always remembered, always saw a pack of cigarettes as a pack of squares. Yeah. That song was written soon after Abby and I moved to Austin. And it, it's all about, you know, moving to a new place, starting over. For me, moving to Austin was, felt like starting over because I was, because Abby was, was living with me. Mm-hmm. We found this little bitty house, this tiny little house right around the corner from a, a grocery store and, and I had this chair that was my grandmother's chair, still have it, and recovered it the whole nine yards. And through two or three relationships, my girlfriends, they're like, you got to get rid of that chair, man. That thing's old. It's like, you got to get rid of that. And I was like, no, man, that's my grandma's chair. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not getting rid of it. And so when Abby and I moved, it was the first thing. It was like, I'm taking that thing with us. And no matter what, no matter where we move, as soon as we get that thing in the house, then you know we'll have we'll have some family here, and it'll feel like home. Whether we're in Houston or Austin or San Antonio or wherever it is, you know that'll be something. The uh, anchor piece, the foundation. Yeah, that's for right. sure. And so that was that was an exciting time when when that song was written and and what it meant to me and Abigail and yeah, yeah. Th- that's cool. And I always you know I so you were part of South by. Right. Yes. For those that don't know, South by is abbreviated for South by Southwest. What was the involvement there with your band or with yourself as an individual artist? I'm assuming that you played shows at South by, right? Yeah. Every every year, you there's there's invites and you sign up to see if you're going to get an invite, whether you're going to be an official South by. And yeah, for the, I moved to Austin, and all of a sudden they started accepting me. It was it was something else. You know, it was it was weird. I mean, becoming an official artist. Everyone, I think there's a there's a lot of musicians that protest uh, South by because it's like, man, you've got no one's getting paid anything, and you know we're we're paying ex- exorbitant prices for the parking, and if you're playing three shows a day for five days at three different venues, and you have to drive around and park at different places, you could be spending two hundred dollars a day in parking. And then the parking went up and wow. just got to where it was like crazy. So, yeah. Is that more of an exposure thing for the artist then? It's, a, it's like I had no idea another, that the artist. It's another exposure gig. Oh, geez. Yeah. And, and the thing, the thing about that was it played a, a bigger role back in the, the early nineties because, you know, there were bands and there were, um, there were, there were A and R people there yeah. and record labels and people were getting to discover signed, you yeah. getting signed yep. out of south by yep. and then all that changed and the the music business tank with the digital and everything that happened so no one was getting signed and then you're playing exposure gigs yep. and it's like who am i exposing myself to? <laughs> the wrong people the wrong, apparently yeah. so you you mentioned some um places i guess um Saxon was one of them, but you've also played, and I don't know how many times, and you can educate us on this, but Green Hall is one of the places that you've 
you've played once or multiple times. I don't know. Gazillions. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've done, I've done a ton of the, I used to play there every 4th of July. Did that for, I guess, four straight years. I wrote the Luby's jingle, Tastes Like Texas, Feels Like Home, back really? in the early 2000s. And we we went and shot it at Green Hall. And I had no idea. Yeah, it was cool. Um, and we got to eat free Luby's for a while. The band, we you had, had Lou Ann platters for life. <laughs> yeah, we, you we, look like a fried fish, John. We lived, <laughs> we lived that life all up. We used that whole life up in about a month. It was like that. the life but, of a struggling. Yeah, the, the band got bad on Luann Platters. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And now, actually, Luby's was a customer of the, the the IT firm that I work for, and I guess they've filed bankruptcy and are going out of yeah, businesses. We're, we're hoping someone someone picks will them up, pick them up again, yeah. or I am at least. I hope. I, I always liked Luby's. I did too. I did too. But, well, but yeah, Green Hall. Uh, I've played a million shows there, but I've never headlined like a Friday night or a Saturday night. Okay. So that's that's one of these days when I'm an overnight success. Yeah. I'll get to, maybe I'll get to do that. And I guess that could be, and, and again, you've played a lot of these places, correct me if I'm wrong, that could be the holy grail of the rooms in Texas to play. Would, would you, would you say that's fair or, or it's one of, one of the ones that are up at the top, right? For sure. It's, it has got as much street cred as anything, you know, and, and it is, it's upper echelon place. Sounds always really good. And, uh, your crowds, crowds awesome. And that's, yeah, if you get a chance to play Green Hall, you go and play it. Oh, I'd have to, they, they, I'd have to pay to play there. So I'll probably never play that. I'll, but that, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm totally, I'll come watch you. I'll though. book a songwriter show up there and bring you up there with okay. me. Okay. I could come yeah. hack up some stuff for yeah. sure. For sure. Uh, did you did you get to crawl through the chicken wire window when you played there? I, yes, I have. Yeah. Yes. I uh, The last time I was at Green Hall, I saw Cindy Alexander play, and she's going to be uh, a guest on my show. She's an artist awesome. out of L.A., and I think she was opening for the Bacon Brothers, nice. Kevin uh Kevin Bacon, the actor yeah, Kevin actor. Bacon, and his wife was in attendance that night and was literally almost standing right next to me. I think her name's Kara or something like that. But anyway, but I saw them crawl through the, the window, the chicken wire. You have to <laughs> enter through that to get to the stage or whatever. You, yeah, don't, you don't walk through the through the room. You come in through the I, chicken I wire. I try not to, to climb through too many chicken windows anymore. You know? <laughs> it's a good way to it's, get shot. Back in the day, you could do those things, and you just yeah. get rep- reprimanded and say, John, go home and get I've in bed. I've got long legs, and they get, they get <laughs> tangled up. Sure. Tell the listeners what projects, uh, what what do you currently have going on right now? Okay, right now I've got uh, about to s- start some pre-production for Jason James. Uh, he's a country singer based out of Texas City, but plays all over the place, plays Green Hall, plays a lot of great places. Uh, had it, His first record deal was with New West, small label out in Asheville. And then I've got been doing a Stephen Castillo record, it's got a band called the Western Express out of Austin, and they're kind of like a like a like an early Mavericks sounding band. Really cool. Mike Ethan Messick and uh, Ben Morris are doing a project that I'm I'm working on. They both have their own respective bands, and they've come together, teamed up to. They've always wanted to do a record together, and they wanted me to kind of meld 
their two sounds together. So that's I'm I'm busy with that. I'm trying to think what else I'm I'm leaving out right now. I've got two of my own projects that are basically in the can. So I'm hoping to get. I've been kind of waiting for the the COVID dry spell to to dry up and start moving again. And so that that seems like that could happen in the next six months. So yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully I'll get one of those. I've, I've got a record out right now that. Well, not out, but finished. That I'm really nervous about releasing because it's, it's it's so outlandish recording and and production wise. Well, we we had so, that conversation outside now by the yeah. pool. So I need to and just d- get you it gotta out. you gotta release it, John. Just take my advice, okay? If you take nothing from Randy, take you gotta put it out. Don't sit on it because first instincts are always the best. I'll, right? I'll send you I'll send you the first track off of it. Okay, fair let enough. You, let you be the judge of this. And then Corp Lund just released Agricultural Tragic. You should go check that out. Who else? I've got a single that's out right now. James Steinley put it out. It's called Outback Baby. Okay. And and it's it's his single, but we duet on it. So it's it's a lot of fun. But it just came out last week. Is that something that Wednesday. Okay. Is that something that can be found like on iTunes, Spotify? iTunes, Spotify, okay. anywhere you find your music. It's yeah. it's James Steinley and that's S T I E I N L E. Steinley. Okay. Yeah. It's German. Okay. And and you you mentioned earlier about the Mavericks and, and I'm trying to jog my memory. Is this the same this is the group uh was Raul Milo was the lead singer, singer for that. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, just, I was trying to make sure I had that right in my head. Yes. What a great voice he has, right? Oh, what a singer. Wow. Yeah. Roy, Roy Orbison-esque. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about Emily Bell and the talkbacks. I, and, and I just stumbled across her through you. I hadn't right. heard of her before. So who were who the talkbacks? The talkbacks are her band. Okay. Which, which uh, it's just it's it's our Austin mob. Some of the guys that I that I I put in put in the studio with me from time to time, depending on the project that I'm working with. That was a new band that she put together after her first release of Emily Bell in Technicolor. Okay, got to check that one out. That okay. one was 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 a really cool record that we did around the same time, 2012 ish. And then she put out an EP called Goddess of Destruction, which was was um, pretty cool, pretty cool production-wise. And, and she's just a great singer, great it, singer, great songwriter. Is this uh, the, the talkbacks? Is this uh, just hired guns, or is this a solid band that, that is like you do everything together, right? It's we, not just like, did, yeah. hey, you come in and do the guitar, you do the bass, and then... You know, I mean, it's a cohesive unit, it's, the Talkbacks, right? It was, the, the Talkbacks were the live band that she played with. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's it was the touring band that we used for about a year and a half, two years. And M- Emily is in Nashville. She's in Nashville. Correct, and yes. that's permanent residence yes. for her. Okay. Yes, so we've got a place in Nashville together, and she lives there, and I'm back and forth between, here, between Houston and Nashville and Austin or wherever. Yeah. Or a location near you, right? A location near you. Where did you meet Emily? I met Emily a long time ago in, in Houston um, through uh, the Southern Backtones and Johnny Falstaff and just all all of our, our music friends. She was 
she studied what was it music music acting what's that called music theater yeah music okay. theater at at uh, HSPVA in okay. Houston yeah and years after she was out of high school um, she started showing up at some of her shows and then years after that I met her at one of my, I saw her again at one of my shows and I hadn't seen her in forever and I was single and she was single and I, w- I was playing a thing for Sugar Hill Recording Studios mm-hmm. at uh, the Continental Club and then when I got finished with my set I got off stage and she just grabbed me and kissed me and then it was all over wow yeah it was awesome Magnetism. Magnetism. We uh, you animal you. We 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 went on three dates in one night that night. It was. Is that possible? It's, it was crazy. Apparently, it, was crazy. it is. Yeah, it was crazy. I don't think you'd lie to me, would you? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great, and then uh, and then we actually really liked each other, so we we kept talking. And on the eleventh of May was the first day that she threw the kiss on me, and. And we've been together for 11 years since um, this May 11th. And I, f- I flew back to Nashville on the 11th and bought her a ring and asked her to marry me. And she said, yeah. Nice. So we are now Congrats. officially engaged. I was wondering if you were going to take this I, conversation I there. Like, I opened the door for you and let yeah. you just walk right through it. Yeah. I don't know if you heard it first on Backstage Pass Radio or not. But anyway, yeah. it, it doesn't really matter. So, yeah, congrats are in line there. And uh, she would say it's about time. Yeah, but eleven eleven really, years. It really is. We've we've been through the ringer together, and and she, um, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Well, we wish you uh, wish you guys all the happiness in the world. That's a certainly a big step for for people in general. But um, it sounds like you guys are certainly compatible. The music is uh, you know the, the the tie that binds. Yeah, you, she's, one of the things anyway. She's, right. She's super super talented. She's super talented and, and and as far as singing and writing and she's writing for a production company out of LA that that makes TV shows mm-hmm. like they've got uh, uh, what is it uh, Border Force USA on I think it's the Discovery Channel or Net Geo yeah but she does that she she makes TV shows she writes songs she makes albums she's just super creative and super talented. Very cool. Let's uh, we'll switch gears a little bit. You guys make sure you check out Emily Bell and the talkbacks. I know that you can find them on Spotify for sure, and I'm going to assume that you can find yes out on iTunes as well. If you find them on one, I'm sure you'll find them on the other. Is kind yeah. of the the look, mindset. Look up Emily Bell um, in Technicolor, and then also look up Emily Bell, Goddess of Destruction. Emily Bell and the talkbacks, Goddess of Destruction. Yeah. Let's talk just high level real quick about gear, guitars. Is there a go-to guitar, being a musician and a guitarist myself, is there is there one guitar that this is my this is my baby, this is my go-to, and I realize every guitar is different. Every guitar, you know, you might have three of them on stage. They're all tuned different. Right. I didn't know if there's one for you that that you gravitate to. Um, for acoustics, for my acoustic shows, I've – play two guitars one's one's a beater one's one that i'm i'm well I, i'm not scared to take either one of them but the beater that i've got is a guild it's a 1970s guild and i love it i'm wearing through the the face of it like willie nelson now so love that guitar i love it in the studio so anything 
1977, I think, 76, 77, all the way down to the 67s are super, super killer. Mm-hmm. And then my for sure go-to that I would go to no matter where where I'm playing, it can be the Opry or the Tonight Show or anywhere else, is my Gibson. Big Gibson guitar fan. I've got a, a Gibson Advanced Jumbo custom shop from Fuller, Fuller's Guitars, yeah. and it's an awesome Awesome axe. I, I recommend it for everyone that can find one. I love the sound of the Gibson Hummingbird. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of pigeonholed myself. I'm a Taylor player. Right. And I always love Taylors. But I, but I love that, that Gibson sound. And it's, it's very unique. Uh, it's, in, it's, in always, it's, always felt, it's always felt right to me. And it sounds right with what I'm playing. And I use great big strings. I play 13s, and I play the hell out of them, like really hard. And I'll play them till they break. So, like, I, I've had to deal with Elixir for a long time. So I, I, I fell in love with Elixirs, and I've been using the Polywebs. Yep. And so I like to rock them, and I like to wear them down. I like to wear them down until they break. Yeah. And then the new set of strings is like, okay, I'm – they're okay, but I need to get them worn in. So you, so yeah, and I'm a Elixir player too. The Polywebs, the Nanowebs, those are my strings of choice. So are you saying that you'll continue to keep a pair of Elixirs or a set of Elixirs on a guitar until you break one and then you change it? Is that a special sound that you I, you you I, like to get out of the guitar? Because so I think the brightness and the life of it after a certain time plays out and I'm a string right. changer myself. Right. Um, of course. And then you have the oils of the hands that saturate them and you don't right. get the, you don't get the same brilliance. Yes. Yeah. But you like, you kind of, you gravitate towards maybe not that I'm brilliance a, and something on the, the opposite end of that. Right? I'm a, I'm a, a string puller and a squeezer and I like my guitars have, I've, I buy them because the neck is big and fat like a baseball bat. And so I really, I fall back on the strength of my fingers for getting the tone that I want out of the guitar. And I think it comes from the old Delta Blues stuff Yeah, where I heard all the stories of the tone's going to come out of your, it comes out of you and it comes out of your hands and your, and, and it's not because you've got a great set of strings, you know? Sure. And so I've, and a, a lot of times in the studio, I, I've, I'll change them over to flat wounds. I'll mm-hmm. play. I'll use flat wounds if I'm doing blues stuff or something like that. And then I've got to start over with a new set of strings. And usually I I go between two sets, two guitars. So one's always got a, an old set of strings yep. on. Them. And then for electric, I'm a I'm a telly guy. I've always I started off on telly and and it's the same thing. I've got a 1952 custom shop telly that was built in late 90s and it's a got a no caster neck on it so it's like a sawed off baseball bat and then all the old pickups from I, I guess they call it a closet classic yeah and so I, I like that and I, my amp is a is a dr z and and it's got a tone knob and a volume knob and so it's kind of goes in that same it's not a purist thing mm-hmm. it's just a preference Reference deal. Well, I think for the listeners that are not guitar players, I guess the heavier 
the set of strings. I guess the the thought process is the more sound you you can get out of it versus a you know a, a light gauge of string. And right. and for those that don't play guitar, the the heavier the gauge is, the more of an ass whipping it is on the fingers. Yeah. And you would be surprised how big a difference. I mean, because I've played a heavier gauge before because I was like, oh, I'm gonna you know get some more sound or fuller sound. And after playing a couple of shows, I'm like, man, these just tore. I mean. Yeah, tore my fingers up. You, you've got to get you've got to get used to them. I made myself get used to them early on, but for whatever reason. But and it's not more sound. You know what I mean? That, okay. Like, like a, a lighter gauge string is just a different sound. Sure. And that's awesome. Tonality wise, tonality it's just a, it's just a, a different thing. And different people like different things. It's the, why they make red cars and green cars. You yep. know, there are a million guitar players that play light strings a whole lot better than I play my heavy strings. You know sure. I mean? yep. It's just a preference. What about from a pedal perspective? Are you a pedal guy or are you just a, a, a what you're getting out of the amp? Like, do you have special pedals that you use for certain sounds? I'm, I'm, I'm into whatever works. I've got a tremolo pedal. I've got, I've got a, a fuzz pedal. And the fuzz pedal is made by a guy in Austin. So it's a no-name fuzz pedal okay. boutique. Yep. And then I've gone through a million different delay pedals. So it's it's like whichever delay I feel like's working the best of the time, and and that's and that's it. That and a micro a micro amp. Okay. So that the micro amp's the best that I've found that will boost the signal without changing your tone. Okay. So interesting. It's good and a tuner. Yeah. So it's not nothing nothing too crazy. Nothing fancy. Nothing right. fancy. Yeah. What does the show schedule look like since COVID has seemed to? let's just call it ease a bit. Like, uh, are, are you, are you booking what's on the horizon for you from a, from a live show perspective, or is it still just, you're working on these projects kind of behind the scenes and not going out too much live right that's, now? That's, that's pretty much my deal. I'm, I'm focusing on finishing up projects and I, I do have a couple of shows. I've got one at market street square coming, uh, my record label splice records based here in Houston. They're, they're, they're running a series of shows on Saturday nights for the next, I guess, for the next four four Saturdays in a row. June the 12th, I play. Two Tons of Steel's playing with us that night. It's going to be fun. I think I've got a, a show at a songwriter show the night before in Conroe at, at the Corner Pub, one of, my, one of my favorite little venues up there. And I'm doing River Revival with Splice Records out on the Guadalupe River in September. So it's I think it's September. Yeah. Okay. But it's just very few shows and then and then the occasional show that pops up that that I, I want to go play, but right now I'm really focused more on on the production and then there's a whole lot of work that goes into putting out a, a new album. And so I want to make sure I I do that really well with the new the new record. And then, so hopefully, I figure I'll, I should be going back at one hundred percent by twenty twenty two. Yeah. But right now, it's it's baby. You got steps. enough stuff going on. I, I played this weekend. I played three shows this weekend. This past weekend, I've realized how out of band shape I'm in. <laughs> like I tore up. You were showing me um, your dog bites. I I tore up my knuckle. I played the guitar really hard. Yeah. And I didn't. I mixed in an acoustic show in the middle of two electric shows and crippled myself for my Sunday show so 
but I'm okay. I'm, I'm ready to go again now, but I, I just don't have anything on the books. Yeah. It, uh, the ones that you do have lined up are those solo shows or those uh, full band shows? Um, the Market Street Square, June 12th, is a full band show. That's one you want to see. Tell the listeners how they can find that the the, the schedule, right? Do you, on social media, like where can they find the schedule? Because I haven't seen you play live. Of course, I've seen a lot of YouTube stuff, but I haven't had the pleasure of seeing you live and would certainly like to come support. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, share with us so a little bit of where we can find you. For for the Market Street Square show, you could go to spliceRecords.com or just Google Splice Records, and, and their website will pop up and let you know where all of those shows are, including River Revi- Revival. They'll have that on the, that website. And then for my social media, my Twitter, my band page on Facebook, and my Instagram is at Jeb rocks texas that's j-e-b-r-o-c-k-s-t-e-x-a-s okay so at jeb rocks texas we'll we'll get you everywhere and then my personal page on facebook is is facebook.com forward slash the western czar and that czar spelled c-z-a-r okay perfect well you guys make note of that you have time to maybe play a song yeah dude okay all right. Well, have, have you have you had a song on before? No, no. First no. one. First one. Man, it's just like the beer joints. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, like there's so many beer joints that I opened up. Really? Um, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. yeah. I'll try a brand new one. So if anyone wants to like steal this and go get rich off of it, here's here's your chance. <laughs> before it's copyrighted. Before it's copyrighted. <laughs> yeah. This is a. Uh, this is a song called Mother Nature's Howling. And I wrote this during COVID. And at the same time, it, we, had, we had storms and flooding in Louisiana and, and just crazy stuff going on. And whenever I dive into the, the Delta, Delta Blues and, and Mississippi and Louisiana, I, I always have visions of witch doctors and Marie Laveau and... And then uh, the Mississippi River and the big floods and and there's the devil's always involved in it because of the crossroads and so that's that's what this is about. This is about the time the time during the pandemic and and how um, God or Mother Nature always comes out and uh, fights the bad guys and gives them what they deserve. So. Till 
his last goodbye. The mud that's running through this town, a river in the streets, hope nobody drowns. Devil do the prowling, mother nature's howling. dig that so that's a brand new one that you've come up with yeah and that's not on uh of course it's not laid out on a on an album yet no not yet it's brand it'll probably get extended from that but that's the that's the bare bones of it i like it i like that well thanks for sharing that with us and the listeners if you like we go to some uh quick fire questions real quick all right uh this is kind of a a little segment that i like to do where it's just like just Throw out the first answer that comes to mind. You don't have to elaborate unless you want to. Just kind of keep it concise. But gotcha. the first one is Stray Cats or Elvis? Elvis. Carl Perkins or Jerry Lee Lewis? Oh, that's the toughest one. Um, I'm going to say Jerry Lee Lewis, which is crazy. Carl Perkins is one of my favorite guitar players on the planet, 100%. Like that's that was, would be a, a number one go to guy, but Jerry Lee Lewis um, really really affected my guitar playing, my my guitar style. I learned how to play the guitar because I wanted to play the guitar like he played the piano. Yeah, and and so much of my honky tonk and boogie woogie stuff come, is straight straight out of the book of of Jerry Lee Lewis. It's crazy. Jer- it's, it's Jerry true. Jerry Lee Lewis trivia question for you. I'm maybe and maybe I'm wrong, but. Where where is he from? Where where was he born? Do you remember? He's a Louisiana guy. Yeah, yeah. Faraday, Faraday, Faraday Louisiana. Louisiana. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Knew that. My 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 cousin uh, Jean Dillard. She that's on my mom's side of the family. She she worked for Jerry Lee in Alabama. Really, for a long time. Yeah. Is that a Muscle Shoals thing? Yeah, I, or, think yeah. So. I think so. Yeah. Well, I, it's interesting. I watched a documentary the other day about muscle shoals and if you remember the line in skinner's song uh muscle shoals has got the swampers yeah i never knew what the swampers were do you know what the the crew the the musicians yeah Yeah, like i I never knew like what the hell's a swamper right (laughs) so so these shoes that i've got yeah these i i saw a picture of of jerry lee and it was his latest birthday that he had and all of all of his family, um, uh, Mickey Gilly and yep. everyone, they're standing around him so happy and just like grabbing him on his shoulders and everything. And he's sitting in this chair with his feet propped up in these these white, white shoes, shoes. His white shoes, and he's got this this huge snarl on his face, and he's kicked up. and And I told my mom the story, and she said, "Well, John, Johnny, my mom talks like this. She's Southern Belle, you know." Uh-huh. She said, "Johnny, you." Well, those are what Wissy would call his go-to-hell shoes. <laughs> that means he can wear those shoes wherever he wants to and keep his, his chin up high. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, those are, I bought two pairs of these. <laughs> I need so, a pair. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's a great story behind the shoe there. Yeah. What about TV or radio? You a TV guy or radio, radio. guy? Yeah. Radio guy. Perfect vacation for John Evans. Punta Mita, Mexico, or, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, on on the beach in Mexico, yes, yeah. coral blue, green water. That's what I want to do. That's sweet. Yeah, Belize, that area. Acoustic or electric? 
both. Strat or Telecaster? Telecaster. But we already covered this when producing or performing. Mm. Depends on how much whiskey I had. Exactly. <laughs> rock or rockabilly? Rock. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Favorite place to play? You can plead the fifth on that one, too, if you like. McGonagall's Mucky Duck. Yeah. In town here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the duck. I'll have, uh, I think, a staple artist that has played there a lot of years has committed to do my show, Shake Russell. Shake's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Shake's so, as good as it gets. Yeah. I haven't got him on the, um, we haven't scheduled anything yet, but I've got some confirmation that he'll do the show with me. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. He's good good friends with Jack Saunders, who yep. produced yep. Yep. Fool in Town. Yep. Your favorite song to play live? Do you have one? Like this is my this is my song right here. This is I know you love all your babies, and you don't call any of them ugly. But is there one that sticks out in your mind that it's just it, it's just a good live song? Oh man, um, Hot Rod Country. Okay, off which release? That would be off of. Um, is that on Lucky Thirteen or is it? It's, no, that's on Lollygagging. Okay. Is that on Lollygagging? Lollygagging or L- Lucky 13, they run together now. And that wasn't a quick fire question. I wasn't trying to stump you, but. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like rocking that one. Nice. Um, what about uh, formal training or play by ear? Play by ear. Number one influential musician or band? Um, it might sound strange, but Hank Williams. Yeah. He wrote. Uh, from a songwriter standpoint, he, he, in my opinion, wrote it all, and he wrote it in the simplest format. So he used the fewest amount of words and got the most impact out of every word. That's the goal for me. Yeah, writing songs is like that's. I think that's where the the genius in the song is. Is when yeah. you can say it in the fewest amount of words. For sure. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. That's a great explanation. Well, it's been a blast. I, I want to thank you for, for driving all the way out here oh, sure. and uh, taking the time to talk to me and share your story and put up with me. Uh, You've the, been great, The, the listeners, great thank you. I, yeah, I appreciate honestly. that. As always, I ask the listeners to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. I ask that you guys check out John uh, on his social media platforms online check out the schedule, get out and support these musicians. It's been a, uh, a rough time over the last year with COVID and so many, uh, you know, full-time musicians being out of work. It's been a struggle and they've had to stay relevant and try to make money in different kinds of ways. So as always support John also make sure you check out Emily Bell online as well. And Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to John and I chat. You can find me uh, and the show on Facebook at Backstage Pass Radio Podcast, on Instagram at Backstage Pass Radio, on Twitter at Backstage Pass PC, and then on the website at BackstagePassRadio.com. John, thanks again for being such a great guest. Randy, thanks for having me. It's Judy, been my pleasure. You've, yeah, I've, I really enjoy the podcast. Thank you're you. Doing a great job, and I appreciate you doing that for for all the musicians. Yeah, for well, sure. Thank you. Go out and support your local musicians for and sure. Your local venues for sure. Please. And you you guys take care of yourselves and each other. And thanks again for tuning in uh, to, uh, Backstage Pass Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Backstage Pass Radio. 
Make sure to follow Randy on Facebook and Instagram at Randy Halsey Music and on Twitter at R Halsey Music. Also make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on alerts for upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to share the link with a friend and tell them Backstage Pass Radio is the best show on the web for everything music. We'll see you next time right here on Backstage Pass Radio.